Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Brilliant. Well, yeah, my name is Chris. I'm part of the staff here at Life Community Church. So, yeah, it's great to see you guys. It's really great to be here amongst you and to have the incredible privilege of sharing the word today. It really is. I don't take it lightly. It's such a privilege that, that Dave, Leanne and David uh, trust me enough to share what God's speaking to me, to you, today. I think that makes sense. <laughs> So over this past month, we've been looking at this series, Just a Thought. And now each of these messages in this series have all been standalone messages. Pete explained just last week that each message is not following on from one another, but it's actually what God has been speaking to us as speakers currently. Now, (laughs) David alluded to it just now for a little bit, but uh, I've had a real hard time preparing for this today. I really have. So from when David... Uh, Bolton, this is Dave Bolton, first asked me if I would share as a part of this series. When would it have been now? Probably about four, five weeks ago maybe. I was like, yes, I know what I want to say. I know what I want to share. I'm going to go for that. And then about a week later, I was like, oh, what about this? So I started planning for that one. I was like, oh, hang on now, what about this one? And so I started planning for that one. So I've, I've got actually three different messages at home all written ready. I'm like, right now, which one do I go for? And it was yesterday, as I was finally getting some sort of peace and settlement on what I wanted to speak about, that I felt God say, hang on, Chris, hang on a minute, you're overthinking it, you're overworking it. Some of the messages I wanted to share on one was, they were a lot to do with current affairs and theology. The one I was working on right up until probably about yesterday morning was on the hook of, does our theology shape our politics? How does it interact with our worldview of life? Does it actually affect the way that we live our life? That's exactly what I was going to go for. And I felt God say, hang on, you're overthinking. I was like, oh, back to the drawing board then. And then I felt just God, God saying, you know what, just, just tell a story. Tell them a story. Everyone loves story time. Hands up here if you've ever read a good book, a good novel. Yeah, a couple of people, Yeah. Yeah? How many have you seen a great movie recently? One of those films where you just don't want it to end. Yeah? Quite a few people. Fantastic. Well, admittedly, over the last few years, I've not actually read as much as I'd have liked to. Uh, Whilst I've been away at at Bible College at university, I've I've read books, but they've not exactly been inspiring ones. They've been old, dry theology by people with the name of Bockmule and Brueggemüller and those sort of people. And like... They're, they're interesting for the certain field I'm studying, but they're not exactly gripping. I could quite easily not read it before going to bed. <laughs> now, I just want to mix this up. You might have noticed I've got the whiteboard out today. I'm going to be doing things a little bit differently. So I just want you guys to give me a bit of feedback now. So why don't you guys break down into small groups, maybe just on your row or turn around and meet, just chat with the people behind you. I want you guys to just suggest some of the great books that you've read recently, that some of the stories that you've loved hearing recently. I'll give you just a few moments. Let's break it down. Just give you guys one more minute. Maybe it's a TV show that you've seen, maybe a book that you've read, a movie that you've watched. 
Okay, let's bring it back together then. Let's bring it all in. So I want you guys now to just, I'm going to ask just for a few hands up, who's got a few stories that they want to share? I'm going to write them down on the board, just A, to give us a bit of inspiration to increase what we're going to read, but also just because I want to know what you guys are reading. So Anne, I heard you guys, your group over there had a bit of a, a, bit of a discussion going. What, what were a couple of the books you guys have read recently? Presence Carriers. Fantastic. Um, I don't know whether that's spelt right or not, but uh, <coughs> we'll see. Presence Carriers. D. Shearman. You probably can't read my handwriting. It's probably appalling. I, I can barely read it, to be honest. <laughs> Great, fantastic. Thanks, Anne. Why did you, why did you like that book? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So it challenged you personally. Oh, fantastic. Great. Great. Anyone else? What? What? Name another book. Richard, a book that you've read recently. Mm-hmm. The Secret. Okay. What's that about? Yeah? True story. Sorry, uh, the Baptist Church in Northern Ireland. A Baptist Church. Okay. Okay. Wow, cool. And, and why, why was it that that, that, that gripped you? Mm hmm. Okay. It's so a very practical, really, and a practical sort of warning almost. Yeah? Okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, what channel was that on? <laughs> I'm testing you now. Channel three. Okay. <laughs> channel three. Gosh, my writing is awful, isn't it? Okay, anyone else? Let's go for someone at the back over there. Catherine's group. The Book Thief. Very good, okay. Who's that by? Oh, I'm not going to have to spell that, am I? We'll call him Marcus. The book thief. I before E, except after C. Yes. Marcus. We'll go with that. Brilliant. And why did you like that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay, so you connected with the characters. Cool. Brilliant. Brilliant. And what, let's have one more. Let's go front row down here. Oh, go on, sorry. Mordecai. Esther, okay. Uh, Esther. Brilliant. And you connected with that story. Why? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Yes, absolutely. So the story spoke to your life. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. And one more down from this corner then, this group here. Uh, 
<laughs> Confessions of an eco-hitman. Probably a hyphen in there somewhere. Brilliant. Who's that by? The infamous Anon. Brilliant. And, and why did you why did you like that story? Okay, a bit of a conspiracy theorist then, are we? Okay, so remember to bring in the tinfoil hat, shall we, next week? <laughs> Fantastic. So we've got just a couple of, of great stories of books, some of them based on true stories, some of them real, some of them not real, but uh, some great, great stories here, and they've all interacted in our lives. We've all hooked onto them for some reason or other, whether it is because it's something of interest, whether the story speaks into our life or we associate ourselves with the characters. They, they hook us, they grip us. For some reason, a story has such amazing power that it can change the way we spend our days. Now, when I was a kid, I used to be able to spend hours upon hours upon hours reading now, as a kid, I never read theology and Bachmule and Brueggemüller and all those sort of stuff. But things like Harry Potter. I used to be able to read a Harry Potter book in a day. I would read, read everything as a kid. And I'd just go through them so easily. Movies like The Lord of the Rings. They, I'm quite scared now because I, I noticed when they came out now, and it makes me almost feel old, those films. It's, I, I remember them like they were just yesterday. The fantastic movies. Myself, I loved those films as a kid. As I was growing up, they were coming out as I was in school. Um, and I loved them. I don't know why. I, the storytelling was just so, so good in them. I, I read the books and then I watched the film. And Tolkien's storytelling is just phenomenal. However, I know one story that's better than all of them. My story can trump all of them. I promise you. And that story... I'm going to tell you it today, actually. That story is the greatest story ever told. So today's preach is going to be less of a preach. It's going to be more me telling you a story. I hope that's okay with you guys. Okay, it's going to be more, I'm just going to stand here and I'm going to read this story. I've not got a nice big book or anything like that. Uh, funny story about that, but let's save that for another time. Um, but I'm just going to stand here and read. But if it helps you guys, helps you guys to imagine what's going on, to build up a picture of what's happening, you might want to close your eyes or whatever. Just don't fall asleep, please. Please. And, uh, yeah, I hope you guys are sitting comfortably. If not, get comfortable, because uh, I'm going to tell you now the greatest story ever told. There's absolute blackness, nothing, a cold, empty void. And out of nothing, heavens and earth were formed, empty, barren, and shapeless. This ball of rock we now call earth took shape. It was crafted, an art of love and creativity. Water, light, trees, and grass, all given a place in the world. Animals filling the seas and forests. Birds in the air and the plains became occupied. And it was deemed good. Out of nothing, creation was initiated, but the creator was not finished. From the dust of the ground, he created Adam, the first man. In his own likeness, Adam was created. But upon seeing that Adam was alone, it was deemed not good. And out of Adam's, Adam's rib 
God created Eve, the first woman. And upon completion of this act, God the creator looked down at all he had made and said that it was very good. And he loved it all. Man and woman, Adam and Eve, were given stewardship and free reign of all creation with the explicit addition that they were not to eat the fruit of one tree. This one tree, taller than the rest, with branches that reached out in all directions, thick green leaves covering each branch like a skin, and fruit, fat and ripe, dotted the canopy and drooped down from the branches, begging to be picked. One fateful day, the sun was high in the sky, its warmth radiating down and filled the world, and a breeze swept across from the east, cooling the warm air. Both Adam and Eve were walking through together through the gardens, near to this tree, the one tree that they were forbidden to eat from. And as they stood there, gazing up at this tree, admiring it, a serpent approached and placed doubt in their minds. Did God really say that you should not eat from this tree? Both Adam and Eve rallied against the snake, stating that even if they touched it, they would die. The snake pushed harder, though. Did he really say that, though? Did he really say that you'd die? He knows that if you ate the fruit, you'd become like him. He doesn't want you to have his power. And with this, Eve was filled with doubt. She took a step closer to the tree. Adam pulled on her arm, desperately trying to convince her not to go any further. Eve turned around. The snake had a point. It made sense. And besides, the fruit looked so good, it would be a shame to see it wasted. And with that, she pulled free of Adam, reaching up and taking one of the large, plump fruit nestled in the lower branches, and she bit into it. Seeing that she hadn't died, and in fact, that she was actually enjoying it, Adam caught up with her, and he also took a bite of this fruit. And then at once, they began to feel the wind more keenly, and suddenly they were aware they were naked. Adam made coverings from Eve, for Eve and himself out of the leaves of one of the trees nearby and they hid because they were ashamed of what they had done as the sun began to set darkness began to swallow up the sun and the cooler air overtook the warmth of the day Adam heard God walking through the trees as he often did calling out to Adam and Eve he was drawing nearer and nearer and Adam and Eve huddled down in this bush hoping to, against hope that God wouldn't see them Realizing eventually that he couldn't hide from God, Adam rose up out of the bush and confessed all of that had happened. As a result, God banished them from the green paradise of Eden, exiled them from the relationship that they had enjoyed with God, the relationship where they would walk daily with the creator of the universe, exiled from the garden, destined to work in order to survive and eventually to die. Many years later, God looks down at his creation. His heart broke for the evil that it had achieved. Cruelties and perversions previously unthinkable were being conducted on a daily level. Greed and strife run rampant throughout mankind. And God decided that he would start again. No more, no more of this corruption, no more of this sin, no more of this evil. Sack, sack it, scrap it. I'm going to start again calling a single family of piety to build an ark 
and in order to save the rest of creation, which was not corrupt, the animals, the fish, the birds. He then flooded the world. The destruction was absolute, and in his grief-stricken state, God destroyed everything that had previously caused him so much joy. Upon realizing his actions, he promised he would never do it again. Still years on from then, we find a man given a promise by God. A nomad who was taking his family on a journey, bored of the lands he had grown up in and desperate for an adventure, he sets out, taking his family and his friends with him, journeying from mediocrity into something great. God would bless this man, this Abram, as we follow his story, God would bless him and, he would ju- and make him the father of nations and he would live in a land promised by God. Through faithfulness, faithfulness, Abraham endured many trials and challenges, and eventually the promise that God gave him came to fulfillment. One of Abraham's descendants, Jacob, upon leaving his family, found himself wrestling with God. The end result? God renews the promise to his people, who now follow Jacob's new name, Israel. The descendants of Abraham become known as the people of Israel and the covenant with God, the relationship that they had in Eden, begins to be restored. Eventually, we see the sons and daughters of Abraham in slavery in Egypt. The promised land, the land which God had said, this will be your home, is far away. And the the Israelites are laboring and toiling for the Egyptian kings. They begin to lose their identity, and as people set apart by God for a reason, they become dirt. Eventually, one man rose up to defy the Egyptian kings, challenging them over the children of Abraham. Following displays of God's power, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, eventually submits and allows the people to leave with this man, this Moses. And Moses leads them through the desert en route to the promised land. Along the way, people learn of God's commitment to them. In the desert, where they have no food, they have no water, they learn that God is committed to them as a people. He provides bread and water in their time of need. It is also in this time that God gives them the law. God restores his commitment to make them a beacon to all nations, a nation to lead all nations But how are they going to do that? They're just slaves. They're builders. What are they going to do? So God gives them the law. We know it as the Ten Commandments, but that's just a small part of of the law, really. Moses leads them to Mount Sinai, where he encounters with the Lord. He gives them this law, a strict code which should be followed in order to remain within the covenant of God. Eventually, they make it to the Promised Land. But their faith as a nation stops them progressing any further. How many people here know that our faith can often hinder us in our journey with God? We meet a challenge, we meet an obstacle, and we don't know how we're going to overcome it. It's exactly the case here in this story. They reach the promised land, they can see everything that God has promised them, but they're forbidden to enter. A whole generation passes Moses eventually dies, and finally, a young man, not so young anymore, a man called Joshua, leads them into the promised land. This time, though, they're armed to the teeth, 
These young people, they're no longer slaves. These guys are warriors. They're going into a land that is theirs, and they're going to take it no matter what the cost. However, as the people begin to settle down and make their homes, compromises are made on the law, on the commandments given by God. The people begin to bend and break the laws, and eventually the people end up far away from their intended standard. They're no longer the light to the nations. And as a wake-up call, time and again, God sends enemy nations, enemy countries nearby to conquer, to take them over, and to wake them up and say, hey, remember me? I'm your king. I'm your God. I'm where your power comes from. And it's in this time of, of being held hostage by other nations that these people, that the people of Israel hear God and they remember. And God rises up a man in the, in the Bible they're known as judges. So he rises up a man who would lead them, or a woman I should say, a man or a woman, and they would lead them out of the, the bondage that they're held in, out of their captivity and back into the freedom that God has given them. But time and time again, they fall away. They find themselves in shackles. They find themselves imprisoned time and again. And they blame the fact that they have no king like the other nations. They have no one to lead them in the downtime. They've got no one to look to in the times where they're in freedom. Previously, God had filled, fulfilled the role of king for them. He had protected the, for them. He had provided them he, for them. He had governed them. But no longer was that enough. And it's in the time of one of these men who was risen up to govern and liberate the people that a man called Samuel is born. In a time of terror from the Philistines, Samuel is appointed as judge of Israel. And finally, they're given their wish. God says, hey, okay, okay, I give in. You can have a king. You can have a human king. And Samuel's tossing and turning. He's not happy with it. And God says, hey, it's all right. It's not you that they've rejected. It's me. The people had rejected God as their king. And Samuel finds, goes out with God on his side, and he finds a man who God has called king. A man named Saul. And we all know, Saul, he doesn't really do a great job. In fact, he doesn't really do much at all. And eventually he loses the promise of God. And they find themselves back in the same place they were before. But before then, God is already preparing. God is already rising up the next king to succeed from Saul. And that man is David. King David. Under David, the land of Israel is safe. Their territory advances. Israel becomes one of the powerhouses, one of the superpowers of the world. Their wealth grows. Their army is the strongest. David is even called by God a man after his own heart. Eventually, though, being a mortal, David dies. He passes on. And his legacy is left to Solomon, one of his many sons. And Solomon was an incredible, incredibly wise king. And under his rule, the first temple was built, the first temple of God, built in the capital city. And the temple was huge. Wood, stone, both, gold were all used expertly to create this grandest of buildings, a house 
for God, a place where God can reside. Many other nations would come and they would flock to Israel just to see this temple. Finally, they're thinking, finally we've got it. We're being that light. We're being that beacon. People are coming from all over to see our God. But with the death of Solomon, the golden age of Israel ended. Handing his rule over to his sons who plundered and ruined the nation in an attempt to outgrow their ancestors' shadows. Many, many evil kings followed after the depression of Israel. And their, their darkness wound deeper and deeper still. Foreign gods are worshipped. Laws and customs laid down by God in the desert are forgotten. And it seemed as if Israel and now Judah, because they're a split nation, they're no longer together. There's a civil war and they, they split into the two. Completely different from each other to when they were rescued from Egypt. The covenant of God was now forgotten. The nation was given over to evil practices. But hope still remained. Several, several hundred years later, one king comes to power eventually. He's only a young boy. But during his rule, he begins the restoration of the temple. He hears of the golden age of Israel. He hears about his great, 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 great grandfather or however many greats there should be. He hears about all that his nation had achieved and he pinpoints it to the temple. So he begins to build it up. And it's during this time of labor that the ancient law was rediscovered. And as he reads this, he realizes how far his people had fallen. He realizes where they are now. They, he realizes why the nation are in such a rough place. And this king, a young boy called Josiah, begins to reform the laws. He begins to shape the nation once again, to bring it back in line with God's law. However, again, much like his, his ancestors, eventually... Josiah dies and the nation begins to backward slide again. Great prophets like Isaiah, Elisha and Elijah come along and they go through some of the toughest times faced by God's people. For example, I just want to give you this one. Isaiah serves during the rise of the Assyrian Empire. Now the Assyrians were one of the cruelest superpowers of the time. They didn't last too long but when they were, when they were active... They conquered and they despoiled much, much, much of the known world. Eventually, the Jewish people were carried off into various different places as slaves. As the Assyrians waxed in their might and eventually waned in significance, the Babylonians rose and the Jewish people were carried off into exile, carried out of the promised land and lost as punishment for Israel's idolatry. It's during this time in exile that we, we have some of the prophet, prophetic books in the Bible for, called Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. These books of lamenting over what has been lost. And it's in this time of exile that the Jewish people realize again what's up, where they've come to from, who they are. It's during this time of exile that they realize that. And eventually they turn back to God. And they're liberated from the exile and they return to the land of Canaan. Generations pass 
and various powers have come and gone in leadership. It, realistically, Israel has never owned its own land since it was carried off into exile. They might have been in the land, but there have been powers over them. One of those, which is where our story takes the most extraordinary turn, one of those superpowers, the Roman Empire. Now, we all know the Roman Empire. Many of us will have studied it in school on various different levels. The Roman Empire, the most powerful nation known to man at that time. The hope of the return of King David burns freshly in the hearts and souls of the Jewish nation. Not just because he was a good king, not just because he was a great warrior, but they were looking out for the hero who would return them to God's promise. They were holding out for this Messiah who was to come, this hero, this saviour, and they expected it to look like King David. Under King David, the nation was wealthy. Under King David, the nation was strong. Under King David, the temple was being built. Under King David, they were in God's promise. So they were looking out for a King David to come along, and eventually they find a carpenter. Not quite what you expected. And one day he's speaking in the synagogue, and he says this. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, many of them would know that passage. Many of the people in the synagogue would know that passage. They would have grown up reading the scroll of Isaiah. They would know it, and they'd think, great, okay, here he comes. He's bringing the sucker punch now. Here comes King David. We're going to win. Come on. And Jesus rolls up the scroll, and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. And there's outroar, absolute pandemonium. What does he mean? What does he mean? Where is David? Where is his war horse? Where is his big shiny golden sword? There's just a carpenter here. This is Jesus, the son of Joseph. We know Joseph. He's just a builder. He's just a man. And here's Jesus. Yeah, he, he might know the law pretty well. He might, he might maybe one day be a rabbi, but he's no Messiah. He's no King David. Eventually, as Jesus goes around on his travels, and he's, he's speaking, he's teaching, and people see these miraculous things happening, these signs, these wonders, these healings, these deliverances, and people begin to realize, I wonder, you know what, I wonder, I wonder if what he said in the synagogue that time, maybe that's true. And he goes out and he calls these 12 men to follow him, and Eventually, his following grows from 12 to 72, we know at least, then to 500, and then to 5,000, and a huge multitude of people are following this one son of a carpenter. And he comes into Jerusalem, and people in power, the Pharisees, the, the Sanhedrin, the Romans, they all realize this man is a dangerous man. This man can overthrow us. So they execute him. They execute him, they hang him on a cross, and they crucify him. Because Jesus didn't fit the pattern that they were expecting. 
But the story doesn't end there. Jesus might have been executed. He might have died on that cross. The one sent by God to bring reconciliation and unity throughout the nations doesn't stay dead. They put his body away in a tomb and three days later, the tomb is gone. The tomb is empty. The stone is rolled away. The body is gone. Where the people had failed to be the light to the nations, God had succeeded. By being lifted up, by being put on that cross, all nations were given a banner to look to. It's at this point now in the Bible as we're reading through this greatest story that's ever told. There's a big gap. There's a void. We don't really know what happens much. But the Bible then begins to speak prophetically. Instead of speaking about the past and events that have happened, it looks to the future. And it begins to speak of a time to come. A time where God is once again exalted across the world. A time where Jesus is worshipped by all and mankind is reconciled to its creator. A time in which it said, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. But there still there's this gap. This gap between the book of Acts and the book of Revelation. A void in which nothing is recorded. Excuse me. It's this time that you, that me, that us as a church, our story fits in to this. We play a part in this greatest story. We play a role. We're a character in this story. You see, the story that I've just told you, it's not just a nice story. It's not a fairy tale to tell your kids as you put them to bed at all. There's pretty, some pretty graphic parts in there, actually. So really, some of them don't, don't tell your kids, especially not before bed. But it's in this story that our lives play a part. My story plays a part in this. Somewhere slotting in between the book of Acts and Revelation, we're in there. Today I've told you the story of the Bible. The greatest story ever told. And I've done that, why? Not just to fill a bit of time, not just because I didn't know what to speak on at all, but because it's something that really motivates me as a speaker, as a part of the church. When people find their home in the church, when they realise that their mundane, their often boring life has significance. The story of what God has done in your life, whether it's, he's rescued me. He knows me. He loves me. Or for some of my friends that I have, their story is a bit more radical. It's, he's rescued me from addiction. I was lost, but now I'm found. It's that story of salvation. That story, your story, my story, our story, can change someone's life. If we just are brave enough to share it. You see, the book that we read, that as a church, we proclaim to be the most important book the, story, the book that I today have called the greatest story ever told the story that's greater than all of those no matter how good they are the story is greater we will often use words like the word of God the holy bible this book is more than just a nice story it's more than a historical account of the formation of a nation this book has the power to change the world this book is an account of the creator God Pursuing creation in an attempt to restore a broken relationship. And now I'm, I've near enough run out of time, so I'm just going to wrap this up now. 
But uh, I want to bring it back to a full circle and say, there's nothing wrong with these books, with these stories. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. They're fantastic. And I encourage you, check them out. Give them a read. You never know. It might help you in your journey. But just remember this. We can lose ourselves in many good books. We can lose ourselves in great stories. But there's really only one story that we can truly find ourselves in. I'm going to pray now. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word. Lord God, I thank you that you entrust your grandest story to us. Lord God, that you trust the telling of your story to us. And Lord God, I pray. I pray, give us boldness, Lord. Give us courage to share the story that you've outworked in us, Lord God. As we leave this place, Lord God, would the words that I've just spoken not just be words, would they not just be a nice little story, Lord God, but would they actually shake our hearts, God? Would they grow in us? Would they grow seeds and fruit in our hearts and in our lives, Lord God? And Father God, like Isaiah says, Lord God, here I am, send me. Lord God, we realize there's this void in your story, Lord, where you require us to step up. You require us to go. You require us to bring your message. And we say, Lord God, my hand's up. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Send me. Use me, Lord God. Use the story that you've given me. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life.com dash cc dot org